welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. And I'm Josie Kilpack. Josie, it's great having you again well, coming thank back. You. And thank you. Last time was kind of the sad, sad, sad time. I mean, it was very drippy and we, we cried together. <laughs> we did a lot of sniffles. <laughs> and but this time is the hallelujah, Hosanna, mm, um, all that wonderful, glorious, peaceful, fabulous stuff. So I am just so excited to be able to to talk about the resurrection and the hope and the joy and everything surrounding it. I'm just I am so excited about our talk today. I wanted to start though with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because I I love the fact and we're going to be talking about this how right when it happened when the savior first comes the apostles still kind of don't get it. As a matter of fact, many of them we're going to be reading were were almost fearful and were just having a hard time kind of putting this into reality for them. And so when we read and we are going to be reading the epistles, oftentimes it is afterwards where they gain a complete understanding. And it was like those aha moments when things just click into your brain and you go, oh, that's the reason why the Savior said that. Oh, that's the reason why in the Old Testament we did those things, you know, that we see a lot of those, especially in the epistles. So I wanted to start with this beautiful passage. Matter of fact, we could probably sing it because, <laughs> you know, Handel used this in his wonderful Messiah. He says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. I also wanted to add that verse 23, because I think it is important as we talk about resurrection that there is an order that uh, just like everything that the Lord does, there is an order with what he does, there is an understanding, there is foundational doctrine about why people are resurrected, when they're resurrected. All of those things are part of the plan of salvation. And I am so excited to be able to talk about the plan of salvation and this glorious peace that we're going to be talking about today. Well, Josie, you get to talk about Jesus Christ's resurrection, but also how the women were so much involved. And that also goes with our final discussion last week about how the women, the Savior, loved women and was just such, uh, you know, I just love the way that he always saw their spirituality. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he really did, I feel, treat the women with his with equal measure as mm-hmm. he did the men. The men were proselytizing. They were the ones that were going out and, and doing those things. And so, of course, we have a lot more in the scriptures about them. Um, but the women were part of his life. His mother was a part of his life throughout all of the different phases of his of his growing up in his ministry. And so with the resurrection, they the women go to the tomb to prepare the body um, as per their custom. And the stone is rolled away. And in one of the accounts, we have an angel there. And I think in the other account, we don't. Am I remembering that correctly? Um, and they're, of course, fearful. The thought is that the, his body's been taken away. Um, and um, someone addresses Mary, and she 
thinks it's a gardener. And I've always, the way I've always interpreted this myself is that, you know, she's a, she's a woman. She doesn't know this man. And they had certain customs, the way that the genders interacted. And so she likely kept her eyes down and, you know, and is upset. And he reveals himself to her first. And she's the one that goes and tells the apostles. And then they don't believe her. Um, you know, but, <laughs> but um, one of the things that stands out to me uh, in the story is, yeah, it's a big deal. The first, the first person that he reveals himself to is Mary, but it's through her doing the regular things that, that women do. You know, she just was where she was supposed to be or where she wanted to be in um, her role as a, as a caretaker and a nurturer. That's who she was. And um, it makes me think of just how often my own revelations or my own um, understanding of things just comes through doing the normal, ordinary things. You know, it's not going to the top of a mountain. Sometimes it could be, but... Um, and that she's still serving him, you know, he's, he's passed and she's still there to do what she, what she can do for him, which is beautiful. And I love that it happens in a morning and it's in a garden. And yeah, I think all such great, um, reminders of how we see Easter, you know, and Easter being springtime and all of that. And I am so touched by what you said that she was doing the work that she had to do. And yeah. that's when this blessing came. And I think the same of um, Mary Whitmer, that story of her um, having the prophet visit and so all of those grown people all in her house <laughs> and so weary and going out to the barn and being able to see the plates and yeah. know that the gospel was restored because of her faithfulness, but her doing sense. the work yeah. that that is required of her. And sometimes yeah. it is just hard work. I am so touched that when she says to who she thinks is the gardener, show me where you laid right. his body. And you think that she would take his his broken dead body and she didn't care. She would carry no. it. She yeah. would. And and her willingness to do whatever it took to treat him with respect. Yeah. And the true sorrow that she felt oh. of the possibilities of what had happened there. And I love that we get to see that through through her approach to that. And, and certainly not in any way to say that there's women's work and men's work because, mm -hmm. you know, equality is I'm all for it. I'm doing <laughs> all of it. Um, but I, I, I love that feminine touch to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful that we got that. And then we see when she goes to the apostles, they react in all of their Okay, but I do have to take when you ways. say feminine touch and then he's like, touch me not. Touch yeah, me not. not that kind of touch. <laughs> but, um, but just that softness, mm -hmm. that softness there. You know, and, and I that spiritual I awareness. That, yes. Well, and I loved your comment about why she didn't recognize him, because I know that you're right. She wouldn't have, you know, here was a strange man. She would not have looked him in the face. Right. But also anybody who cries a lot like I do, you know, <laughs> you know that when, you know, she would have been weeping. She would have been. Oh, and, yes. Was she an ugly crier? <laughs> I, I, I'm an ugly crier. And so I often thought, okay, that was an aha comment to me because I thought, all right. Because oftentimes when I read that, I was like, well, how come she didn't mm -hmm. recognize him? And then also the other part of that for me is, just how often our expectations um, are part of our own limitations of things. Mm -hmm. She did not expect him to be. I mean, they've been told certain things, and now we can look back and we can put it all together, kind of like we do with Christ's entire life, right? Sure. You know, oh, it was the scripture fulfilled, and and um, 
but they still didn't quite get what was happening. Their, their obedience was, and their faith was amazing, but we still have our expectations and we do that all the time. You know, well, I expect that churches, I'm going to feel this way at church. I don't feel that way at church. Therefore I'm disappointed. Um, but her expectation was not that she was going to encounter him in a living form of any kind. Right. You know, her expectation was, I'm going to go and I'm going to do what's right by him mm-hmm. um, according to our tradition, because I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to do that thing. And so she didn't have an expectation because we can read it. I remember the first mm-hmm. time I read that. I'm like, come on, you, <laughs> you, know, you know this guy. Like. Yeah. How would you not recognize him? And um, but he's in an exalted form of right. some kind. Right. And and she just had no expectation. They didn't have a an understanding of what resurrection was. And this had never happened before. Right, it right. never happened before. Although it does First make me wonder in the last section we talked about, you know, saints being raised from the grave, mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't that have just happened? But, you know, still. Right. Well, and, and you think that maybe that was a preparation for yeah. the people when they saw the saints being raised from the grave. And well, and I loved your and comment. Say, upon his resurrection in the one and in the other, it says the day of a yeah. day may have been the period. Right, that's of, true. So and it may have been just after the resurrection. We don't know when. And if it was a personal, as we were talking about, right. we were considering Not if it's a personal right. thing. Yeah, it wasn't a big right. public thing. And then I still think, I still wonder if, again, with those expectations, you know, they've been waiting throughout his ministry for him to, to lift up a sword and lead them, you know, away from Rome. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the expectation was that when he said, I'm going to come back, they're like, great, you're going to come back with those legions of angels. Oh, and yeah. now you're going to, oh, you're going to be what we wanted right. it to be. And you, you think know? about, um, who was it that looked over, was it Isaiah and Hezekiah that says that the people that are, there's more with me than there are with thee, like, yeah. like oh, see yeah, the that was Elijah. army. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Elijah. With the Hezekiah, right? No? Mm-mm. Anyway. But um, when he sees the right. legions of angels, yeah. right. I thought that, yeah. But that again, those expectations, expectations. We don't know what those expectations right. were specifically. Yeah. Well, and, and along with that, going right along with that, when we go to the Luke 24, I did want to just, just read because right after that, the... Um, they were told these things, and and then it says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in their midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. So just going along, these, you know, this is the apostles, you know, and, and even though they had they knew the saying that the Lord was going to rise and that you know, all this was happening, and yet they still had, you're right, they still had this well, question. at that point, they, they also were probably terrified because they had denied everybody else who had seen them. Right, <laughs> and they're like, oh, no. Oh, now we're in real trouble. We I know. Because, <laughs> right, and we didn't see other people. Yeah, they were terrified and affrighted, and maybe that's the reason why. And, <laughs> and then, but this is the interesting thing here in the Luke version. We've talked a lot about the physician Luke. Right. And I love the fact that he is very much aware of the body and this, you know, the, the body part mm-hmm. of all these stories. And so, and here in the Luke version, and he said unto them, why are you troubled? This is the savior to his apostles. Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? So they're still thinking he's a spirit mm-hmm. and that he doesn't have a body. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself 
handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Now, when I was reading this, I was thinking of in the Doctrine and Covenants when we did have a lot of visitations that happened at the beginning of the Restoration. The Joseph Smith had a whole section on how to know whether somebody was a spirit or not. And one of the things that he oh, said yeah. was that you can't handle a spirit. Right. You know, that there's this total reuniting of the body and the spirit and that you can handle. And so basically the Savior is having the people physically handle him so that they know he's truly a resurrected being, which is different than what happened with Mary, where he says, touch me not, right. I have not yet ascended right. to my father. So so this is after that. And then he says, and when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, so, and I think that's an interesting phrase. They still were having those doubts. It's like, you know, when well, something really glorious... Happened. I think they were so really happy happening. they weren't even to a logical point yet. Yeah. <laughs> they were just like, you know, you were thinking an emotion. Like right. you're not even... I know. You won't even... It doesn't sink in. Right. So they they believe not for joy. Right. That's different than like, being terrified and I thinking he's a ghost. It. Right. Which so, was the know, first the, the first, first way they handled yeah. it. And this one, they're still having problems. They're wondering. They're And he says... <laughs> Said, he said unto them, have you any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. So, I mean, he's really he's showing really them physically. The point. Right. Yeah. He's making the point. Look, touch me, feel me, see, and not only that, but get me some food. I'm going to show you that I can eat it. I'm going to swallow it. <laughs> and you're going to see that I can eat just like you. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this idea of really him teaching them that the resurrection was truly a reuniting of the body and the spirit, and that he truly did have a body of flesh and bones. And that's the reason why he wanted to make sure that they could feel him and that they could not just see him, but see that he could eat and that he could do the things that they could do with their body. Now, I I loved this in terms of President Dallin H. Oaks gave a wonderful talk on resurrection, and he brings up another part of resurrection. It is a reuniting of our body and spirit, but our spirit doesn't change. And he says resurrection is much more than merely reuniting spirit to a body. The resurrection is a restoration that brings back carnal to carnal and good for good. And so when we're resurrected, you know, I think oftentimes people think, well, um, you know, I can sin until the day I die. And when I'm resurrected, that means that I will be a fully perfect person, even though I did all these bad things just before I died. And what, you know, President Oaks is trying to say, and actually when we think of Corianton and we think of, you know, chapter 42 of Alma, where that was Corianton's problem. He felt the same way. He was like, well, you know, it's okay that I, you know, slept with, you know, somebody while I was on my mission, while I was a missionary. That's all right. Um, Because when I'm resurrected, you know, all of those sins will be gone. And one of the things that the Savior's trying to teach is, yes, we have a body, you know, our bodies and our spirits reunited, but our spirit is the same spirit. And there's going to still be those 
you know, if we haven't conquered the natural man here and now on this earth, that spirit is not going to be changed. Instead, it will still have those problems. Well, it's interesting what you say, because C.S. Lewis said that often we feel like we're overcoming when really we're just getting older. So especially with <laughs> sexual sin, you know, like as we get older, those feelings aren't as strong. So we think, oh, we're getting so better about controlling our thoughts. But no, you're just getting that's older. Your hormones are raging. <laughs> so I think that that's true, that as we get a body that's powerful and resurrected yeah. and can do everything, if we haven't learned to control, control or shift those feelings, then it would be dangerous. So, and that's where you have the body celestial and the body celestial that we give in a body willing to have the power. I always laugh though. Okay, this is naughty and it's not really true, but I guess <laughs> I wish it was. Wouldn't it be funny if we were resurrected into the body that matched our spirit? So if you had an ugly spirit, you get an ugly body. Oh. <laughs> so then, some of us no. were resurrected. We're like beauty queens. are like, oh, never knew she was that good. <laughs> so that's probably not yeah, true. I don't I'll think be in that corner before, but it would yes. be funny. Yeah, it would be funny. I'd be in the corner. One thing that makes me think of, and I'm not going to have the right reference. You guys probably both know it. But in the Doctrine and Covenants, I love the scripture. Where it says all things spiritual are temporal or all mm -hmm. things temporal or spiritual mm -hmm. and that makes so much sense to me that, that, that the, the physical things you know are, are physical vices mm -hmm. there's a spiritual component of that and so as we as we can heal ourselves spiritually um, and resolve those physical vices um, isn't that an interesting thought that does, which then supports the idea of learning what we can do here and and doing what we can do here so that we are better prepared when we get to the other side to to do whatever work is waiting for us on that side. So that our spirits can match our bodies. Exactly. Right? So that we're in sync with <laughs> ourselves. In, exactly. In I order to like be, to best utilize that opportunity the same way that we best utilize this one. So Elder Maxwell also gave a wonderful thought about this. He said, too often when we seek to excuse ourselves, it is ironically the natural man we are excusing. Yet scriptures inform us the natural man is to be put off. He certainly should not be kept on because of a mistaken sense that the natural man constitutes our individuality. Now, I really liked this quote because of the conversation we had with Tristy a couple of weeks ago in terms of we were talking about how sometimes people cling on to individuality as a reason for defining their sins or, you know, those... It's those, who I am. It's I exactly. It's who I am. I can't change. And basically what Elder Maxwell is saying, no, we have to put off the natural man and make sure that we do that before we're resurrected so that then we can have that spirit that we want to have in this wonderful forever body that we're looking forward to. I also wanted to ask you, how do you think we can put off the natural man? Because part of this hallelujah, hosanna, is also the idea of repentance and declaring repentance. Because the Savior wants us to use this time here on earth to prepare for the resurrection. And I don't think sometimes we think about that, that we, we think about it instead of a spiritual, but I really want a celestial body. I, I really do look forward to that day. But I know that unless I have a celestial spirit, I will not be blessed with that celestial body that I'm looking forward to. It's interesting. I think one of the issues is often 
we really like our natural man. We like our twistedness. We like our, you know, like that becomes the part we like best about ourselves. And we have to love the Savior. Oh, we have favorite, favorite sins, right? That's what President Nelson sins. talks about. And they may favorite just be sins. soft sins, but you're right. But it's They're something that sins. we need to, yeah, it's something that as we go through, that's hard to start to find joy in other places and to let that peace go that made us feel unique and special. And so we have to find something else, you know, that will make us feel that way. But that's But I also part. think um, if you want to look at it as repentance or vices or whatever, it's also going to be very personal and we're not all on the same timeline. Right. And there are different factors. And if we look at the sense of our physical vices being, um, you know, uh, Terrell and Fiona Givens, they talk about sin as if we think about sin as woundedness. And so it's a coping mechanism of some kind to mm -hmm. deal with, with struggle. And as we heal. And as we as heal, we right. That's and so, point. you know, I have a, a good friend who, she's, she has a lot of struggles, a lot of hard things. And one of them was, um, was smoking and trying to give that up on top of other things that she was working on. And, and she, through a priesthood blessing, came to the realization that now was not the time to worry about word of wisdom. She had other things that she needed to be able to give her focus to. And she could get so, it was so easy to get caught up in that one that it was discouraging enough that she she wasn't getting to kind of some other root things that that needed work. And and not in in the sense of excusing so much, but also just that we, we don't have to be perfect here. Um, we are supposed to be working on bettering ourselves. But, you know, life is a, life is a tricky, a tricky thing. And well, healing is a tricky thing. And healing is a tricky thing. And it is a very individual journey. Um, you know, I was born and raised in Utah, and it's easy to take kind of the ideals for, for granted. I was raised in a circumstance where the ideal was all around me. I had the ideal for many, many years. I um, was divorced a few years ago, which has kind of changed my own view of things and my own expectations of myself. Um, and how promises that were made to me are going to work now. But I remember years ago going to a ward in another state in um, Oklahoma. And just as these sisters were sharing testimony and talking, I realized just how different so many of their lives were. You know, it wasn't automatic that an adult was going to have their endowments. It wasn't automatic that you were married in the temple. It wasn't, it was different. There was a lot more converts. There was a lot more just different lifestyles and that awareness that we are all charged to do the best that we can where we are. And I personally just really feel our personal relationship with God is going to be the most important thing because we may fall out of accord with church things. We may have big struggles that, that interfere with some of the more finite, I guess, almost motor mm -hmm. skills. <laughs> But that relationship with God, knowing that he loves us and that he is aware of us and, um, and that we're on our journey is, is really important and not to get so caught up with perfection that we feel if we don't have it, mm -hmm. that we are falling short necessarily. Because that plan that we're on is bigger than just what we're doing right now. Well, and for me, your comment brings back so many Savior stories yeah. of Savior and women. You know, the, the woman taken in adultery and the woman at the well and all these other stories that we talked about during the life of the Savior, that obviously that's how the Savior also felt. Right. In terms of women in different 
very difficult, hard circumstance that would be easy to point fingers and say, you know, she's not living righteously. You know, she's having issues that shouldn't be a part of, you know, spiritual living. Right. And so, and yet he loved them. And and he saw beyond that. He did. Which for, it's also important, especially in scriptural accounts, women were very, very limited. Yes. There was not many ways to support your family or to support yourself, you know, outside of, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, prostitution and things like that because women did not have rights. They didn't own properties. It was, we still see that in the world. And, and it's easy for us to, to, I would never make that decision. Well, aren't we lucky that we never had to, that we live in a different time. And, and Christ saw straight through that. You know, we have, just as you said, many of the women that he dealt with are branded in the scripture stories as having sexual sin. Mm -hmm. And yet he saw who they were and he dealt with them with as much grace and compassion as he did anybody else. And isn't that the joy and the Hosanna? You know, when we say Hosanna, it means save us now. And that is the glory and the peace and the joy. Is that, that we... what it means? I don't think mm-hmm. I knew that. Hosanna yeah. means save us now. It does. Oh, that's beautiful. So um, that goes right along with our next story, that of Thomas. <laughs> you know, and I do think we call him Doubting Thomas and I worry, it's kind of like what we talked about with Peter, how we are too, you know, we, we too easily blame Peter for those negative, you know, parts of of, of his right. personality and say, well, if, if Peter can be that impetuous, then it's okay for me, you know, kind of a thing. But the same thing with Downey Thomas, I kind of worry about always labeling him because he obviously was a very faithful apostle right. of the Lord, too. Right. The fact that he was an apostle. Right. You know? There. <laughs> Pretty big deal. Good point. Yeah. Pretty big deal. But uh, yeah, he doubted. He struggled with that. And I I love Thomas. Like when they relate, I relate to that. I have I have my own doubts. I have different times in my life of having doubts. In fact, I remember very specifically, um, so Spencer Kimball was the prophet of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And he died when I think I was in the fourth grade. And I remember hearing about it on the radio. Uh, in the morning, my mom was listening to the radio. I remember walking to school and just feeling the sense of, oh my gosh, this is the only prophet I'd ever known, you know, and, and that I learned all the primary things. And I remember looking up in the sky and just really thinking, is all this real? You know, how, if the prophet can die, you know, is, it, is this real? And I've had that thought many times, you know, since, is, is all of this real? Um, but our our doubts can be powerful connectors to other people. You know, we have to be careful about not marinating in those, but they can lead us to the questions that lead us to the answers, that lead us to the new level, that lead us to some understanding and lead us again to that connection to God. And um, so I think it's beautiful that it's included in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. That not, I agree. And also that the apostles had their personalities. You know, they were different. They came from different circumstances. They had different struggles and and foibles and whatnot. And for Thomas, it was like, what's happening here? I know. (laughs) You don't blame him, too. No. Because like we were talking about, realize that all of the other, I mean, we just read how all the other apostles who saw him were doubting, were thinking that he was a spirit. But he had had the word of all the 10, right? except for Judas Iscariot. All the other 10 saw him. And even though they all said they saw him, he would not believe their words. Yeah. He had to see it for himself. He had to see it for himself. And you're wondering, what did he think happened? <laughs> did he think they were all 
like deceived by some I mean it's it's such an odd well maybe Thomas had a around. lot of people in oh. his life that were hard to trust growing up you know, who knows it's just a shock but, that yeah. he wouldn't believe the 10 that he had to see it with his own eyes he must I have can been total, I can totally yeah you know what I mean? <laughs> well and that I can totally see myself being one of my are you sure you know well and it just reminds me so much of 3rd Nephi 11 and this just popped into my my mind, we talked about the new Beatitudes that are also said here in chapter 12, where the Lord says, um, blessed are ye if you give heed unto the words of these 12, whom I have chosen from among you to minister. And then he said also, and again, more blessed are they who shall believe in your words, because that you shall testify that ye have seen me and that ye know that I am. Right. Right. So, you know, the fact that um, so Thomas, Thomas was not in that second group, sorry. <laughs> the second group. No, but, but yeah, and, and but the fact is. But eventually did. Right, yeah, eventually, eventually did. did. When and Christ said to him, you know, blessed are those who have not seen right. and still believe because most of us are going to be that way. You're you know, right. most right. of us are not. Right. We may not witness a miracle firsthand. No. We may not be delivered from our struggles the way we see someone else is. Wow. And we're, we need to have faith that it, that again, it, the journeys are so individual. Some people are meant to be healed and some are not. Mm -hmm. And, or, you know, whatever those things are. And that reminder that these, these apostles, the people who saw the resurrected Christ are incredibly limited. Right. And yet they were sent out into the world to continue this ministry and to teach now to the Gentiles. And, and eventually here we are with Christianity being, mm -hmm. you know, I think we're the second largest religion, right? Overall. Christianity isn't Islam larger as far as no, percentage. Christianity is Christian. Well, good for us. But I mean, that's amazing to come from from that. And so, and, and Thomas needed to be reminded that you're now going to go out and teach people, right. and they will not have seen me. So understand what that's what we're asking. You know, recognize that. Interesting. I, I do. I can hear him say. I didn't believe it myself until yeah. I saw it. <laughs> and what a powerful testimony. Uh, what, yeah. right? what a powerful testimony. Yeah. And that goes right along with this idea of feed my sheep, right. that the Savior asked the apostles to make sure that they went out after they gained that testimony, that they go out and they spread the gospel, specifically right. the gospel of resurrection. Right. You know that we do have this hope because of the atonement that the Savior had just made. I know. Which I mean, was the true fulfillment of the law of Moses, right? I exactly. mean, it took all of that. It was. Um, in order for us to to move to the new, the new, the new everlasting covenant. covenant. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, and it is interesting that we don't know when Christ came to the upper room and then came to the after with Thomas. He came, but it wasn't like they didn't know when he would come. And he obviously left and came back so that they were um, at the Sea of Galilee and um they were fishing, and that's when Christ appeared um, on the shore. Mm -hmm. And and we have that great story of Peter jumping out of the ship and swimming to the Savior. And as he sat and they ate bread together and they dined together, that's when Jesus sat with Simon alone. And um, and Jesus says, and it oh, it also says it was the third time he had showed himself unto him. So it would have been the right. third time. The first time would have been without Thomas. The second time with Thomas. So this was the next time. Um, and then he says to him, Simon, uh, Peter, and we're in uh, 
sorry, John chapter 21, verse 15, lovest thou me more than these? And I wanted to go back and talk about love. And we've talked about C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis has a book called The Four Types of Love. And the four types of love are agape, which is the love of God, the love of mankind, the love that you feel towards people you haven't even met, that you feel that love. Um, Phileo, which is, or philia, which is um, the, like, friends, like, mm -hmm. like we're, you know, like, I just really like you so much that I love you and I want to spend all my time with you if I could. And then we have eros, which is erotic, which is that sexual love. Romantic. Romantic. Right. Okay, that's better. Sorry. Like that. <laughs> I'm just making a G-rated here, you know, helping you a little bit. Storge, which is um, the parent to a child. And it's mm. interesting because often interesting. Trey says little children, mm -hmm. you know, to love, and that love is the parent to a child. So all of those, except for um, Eros, all of them are used by Christ as he speaks and teaches. But it is interesting if you look at the Greek translation that in this, um, so in the very first one, when Jesus says, um, lovest me more than these, the first one he says is agape, is the love of mankind, is loving by showing me through action, is loving me um, in a group. And it is interesting that he says, lovest me more than these, which we assume were the other apostles. Mm -hmm. So do you love me more than your associates? Mm -hmm. And do you love me even when it's difficult? Will you do what I ask, even if they don't want you to? And then the second, and Christ, I mean, oh, and, and Peter's answer is so cute because it says, yay, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And it's the filio. Like, Aww. you know, I, I really like you. I think you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I'm your friend. I mean, right, it goes back I, to right. that friendship. And then he, had. and then Christ saith to him, feed my lambs. And, um, and, and so Christ says the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me and again he says agape and and little simon i just think of him saying yay lord thou i just told I you. Feel you i i i love you in that you know like feeling sense and um and then he says feed my sheep and then in the last one it's so cute because the lord says simon lovest thou me and in the last one he says my friend do you love me? Like, do you do you actually like me? Feel that positive feeling? And then he's like, of course, you know, all things, you know that I love you. And then he says, feed my sheep. So it is interesting because there is so much debate. If you look under people that have written about this with the agape and the filio, right. they talk about, um, and, and I know they say, sorry, it's filio, but I always say filio because I think it's feelings and that's how I remember oh. what it is. So I'm just pronouncing it wrong on purpose because it makes me remember what it is. But um, but I do think people say, oh, the Lord was trying to lift him to this higher place and then he was pulling him down. But I don't think so. I think that we need to have both, that we do need to have that feeling of love and we need to feed the sheep by showing them that greater you know, through actions and through service that is maybe something we don't even want to do. But then in the end, the last one is all feeling that we have to love them with our hearts and find those parts that we like that make people our friends that we wouldn't choose to be friends. So I think the feeding goes through both pieces 
in this great, great work. And it's interesting because you remember when we did Keep My Commandments, he repeated it three times. If you right. love me, keep my right. commandments. But it's so interesting that now if you love me, feed my sheep. And so there's the And two, feed my lambs. Uh, feed my lambs. Right. Which are the Both. right. And when you hear lambs, what do you think is the difference between lambs and sheep? Well, I mean, the obvious is children versus adults, which I've heard that before. But I, I, I think, it was Josie's best guess, that lambs are those who right now are already followers of Christ. And sheep are essentially Gentiles and those that have not yet heard the message and and so it's it's both it's would be that filio and and the agape as far as those that are already close keep that you know take mm -hmm. care of them because because mm -hmm. we need you know we need feeding as well um and and go out the sheep that's my understanding i agree i i want to put in a plug for c.s lewis's four loves if you haven't read it mm -hmm. read it it's really great <laughs> read it last week. for understanding it and it's very short it it will take one afternoon but I would also like to say that as we talk about these different kinds of loves, it reminds me when we would work with the missionaries and even when you work with a new convert, there really is two types of conversion that has to happen. There's a social, I mean, that that love of friendship right. and then this love of God that both of them have to happen. Mm -hmm. And many you know, new converts will have this love of God. They'll know the church is true. But they haven't truly but been loved get... in. They don't have that social, oh, that social component. And they need both pieces. And they need both which pieces, which is kind of exactly what they're talking yeah. about here in terms is of the so two different kinds of love. But I think also, like we can, I think as members, we can get where we're very comfortable within the community and within the structure of the church. And and we aren't developing quite the relationship with God directly. You know, I, I think in a perfect scenario, the way that gospel is intended to be, the church is intended to be, a, you know, to help us get to God. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we can get, I mean, I, I know I've been there, can get so busy and wrapped up in the work right. that we we lose that connection, you know. So, but I'm so I'm checking the list and I'm doing all the things that I, I'm at church every Sunday, but am I, am I feeling it? Am I taking my burdens to the Lord? Am I, you know, am I am I checking boxes or am I feeling those Feel those boxes? Lot. And you know, I think in our current, we see a lot of people that are struggling with their faith, and I think some of it comes that way. I think sometimes that connection with church becomes so strong that when that gets interfered with, is that connection with God still there enough to keep us to keep us grounded with Him? And um, I know it's an interesting. That is so interesting that you'd ask that because when you were asking, I was thinking sometimes when we're so involved in the church, I focus more on the Lord and my relationship in the scriptures than I do on who in the room needs so love. I, but I mean, needs, anything so, can interfere. It's right? funny because I, mean, I think sometimes I get so focused on my relationship with Christ that I don't always remember to look in the corners and see. That's awesome. Who's that's awesome. That that's no, I a, don't do that. No, that's no, not. but it is, it is. I think both are good, but I think it's it's part of that balance that we, we need, need to do. do I, I think I've had periods of time where like, I'm really good at the church stuff, but am I really feeling the connection? And, you know, I've had periods where I'm better with the, with the God part of it, Mm -hmm. And I'm not I'm not participating I'm not as much within that community. Yeah. yeah, I'm not feeding anybody else's lambs. Right. You know, I'm not 
part of that. Um, and, and so again, striking that balance, which I think balance is a myth. I think I don't think it really exists. <laughs> no, we but, have seasons of this. Yeah, but you realize which one is is falling short, and you put some more energy there, That's and then true. and then it goes off fast again. That's you know, perfect. I also wanted to say that when we talk about the different levels, you know, we, we all have different levels of love, right? I mean, that mm -hmm. basically that's the four loves that we're talking about. But along with that, we kind of need all four. And we talked about how, you know, balance, but in terms of love, is there a balance? I mean, in terms, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, can we put a, a cap on it? I guess the thing I'm saying is, is we can show love and more love and more love and more love. And all that does is fill up our hearts. It generates more, our generates right? more love. And so that's the reason why I love the idea of love, mm -hmm. because as we really think about it, we, you know, when we were teaching our missionaries, they would always come up and they would say, how could you love 12 children? And I said, the, the beauty of having children is my capacity for love grew with each child. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing happens when we open our hearts to saints or, you know, to those that we're trying to neighbors, you know, other people that we're trying to to love and show love. Even when they, you know, we talked about how the Savior forgave and loved those that were unlovable, we can do the same. And all that does is make our love stronger okay, but, and understand it more. But you really can't get burnt out, especially if you're loving people who aren't loving you back. And so as you're making those efforts, it can kind of suck you dry like a sponge. And that's where you have to turn to the Lord to kind of be refilled again. You. Right. Because you right. think even with 12 you children, you boat. know there were days where you were an empty, dry sponge. You know those days. Me? <laughs> <laughs> and Yeah, my and, children would definitely right. say and I so had we have like to that. recharge because you I, can get I loved agree. out. You can get gived out. But that's the reason why you need all four loves. Right. That's true. And because if you have all four of those, they're exactly. going to help replenish the others. And exactly. I think entering in with a with a loving expectation or loving heart is going to put you in a in a better in a better position as well to love. But I I think that's one of the most basic and remarkable things about the gospel is that if you had to boil it all down to one word and take out you know it it would come to love. That's what the savior taught at its core over and over and over and over again was love. And so when in doubt, love, find a way to love. Um, I Someone shared a quote with me not too long ago, which I thought has found fascinating. Um, we talk a lot these days about boundaries and things. And and because there are, there are those people that are going to, there's people in my life that are going to run me dry. And I, but I want to love. Mm -hmm. I want to figure that out. Um, but the quote was that boundaries are the distance in which I can love you and me at the same time. I like that. And that's going to be different with different people. That you know, there's going to be some people that I may never see again, but I can try and love them from a very, very far distance because I don't resent myself mm -hmm. for going too close and, and, and losing right. what they draw from me. And then other people that I can be very close to emotionally and physically and within that life, um, and I can love both of us. But respecting yourself and respecting other people within those loving relationships and figuring out maybe there's someone who was filio but now needs to be agape. Or needs to be story. Sometimes you have <laughs> right. to realize that someone's a toddler. 
And right. so as a yeah. toddler, if you're throwing a tantrum, I love you, but right. I'm not part of that tantrum. Right. It's not going to affect me emotionally. Exactly. So I love right. you, but yeah, I'm and I a think, parent child. I think we can feel parent child with people that aren't parent children, you know, right. people that we're yes. caretakers for. We have right. to. And figure out and where that is. people that are annoying at church. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're a grown toddler. I love you, exactly. but you're a toddler. Exactly. No, okay. I agree. Figuring that I out. Agree. But if the desire is to love, I think we go in best prepared yes. for the circumstance as opposed to being defensive or fearful or whatever else you know if we can learn to lead with love how much better are our relationships right. and communities going to be and i say that as a student very low on that elder rasband said in the last conference that um and and going back to the fact that our love of the savior and our love of god is where that love has to start from Right. Because that's the only place that agape right. comes from, the kind of love that loves people that are even unlovable. Right. is. Um, and he said, if we're, um, he said, my invitation is to be valiant in putting our love of God and our discipleship of the Savior above all other considerations. Mm. And let us uphold our covenants to be one. And if you are not one, you are not his. And I think when we have issues with forgiveness, when we have issues with loving people, it's because we're not loving the Savior enough, and the Savior will let us love everyone, mm. like even the people that we really yeah, don't want to cool. love. That's a neat thought. Well, and that goes right into this idea of becoming a witness of Christ. You know, that that's another way that we can show love, not just for our Savior and our Heavenly Father, but it also shows love for others as we help them understand that witness. And so I know on the road of Emmaus, we have a, a wonderful witness. example yes. of a witness of the Savior. And if if you want to... And I know that was covered that. on the Easter it was. podcast. So we're just going to cover a couple of things but on this. But it's such a beautiful story. It is a beautiful and story. Like I said, so, I love every part of it. It's, well, it's beautiful. And I imagine, um, and I'm going to go back to where it is, because it's back in Luke. It is. And it is uh, mentioned only, well, it's mentioned in Mark. But it's only told in detail in Luke. And so, and, and we're in verse. Um, well, and don't very you think that he talked to, to, you know, when he talked to Mary, and we talked about the, the relationship Mary's. between uh, Cleopas mm -hmm. and, and, Mar and Mary, the mother of the Savior, that that's probably the reason why, in that Luke, you know, a, a lot of these stories came from her. And right. so he would have had, you know, he would have known the name, he would have mm -hmm. known the story. Well, it is interesting, too, because I always have been um, love the fact that it wasn't one of the 12, that it was just another person that was well, you know, relative, ministering and right, giving. And, and it was a relative of Christ. But I do think that um, that idea that even us, that we may not be part of leadership, that we may just be serving, mm -hmm. that we can also receive that kind of visit because we don't know. Yeah that they had huge callings, but that they were just there and part of that group. So as they were walking to Emmaus, which is about eight miles from Jerusalem, so it was about an eight-mile journey, they communed together, and they were um, talking of Christ. And as they were talking of Christ, um, Jesus drew himself near and went with them, and they didn't recognize him. And his question is so sweet. Because he says, I've been watching you talk to another, and as you walk and are sad, and he could see how sad they were. Mm, I know. And he's like, why are you sad? Oh, and Cleopas says, haven't you heard? Haven't you been here? 
And he says um, that Christ was crucified and we trusted that would have been him that should have redeemed Israel. And so they were without hope that he was supposed to save us. And now he's gone. And this is the third day. And when he says this is the third day, you wonder if he'd heard the prophecy that the third day I'll arise. I will, you know, destroy this temple and on the third day. So you wonder if they waited till the third day to leave. And if it was growing toward eventide, which it was, because mm-hmm. it was night, and they're thinking it didn't happen. The day's over. The day is happened. over. <laughs> and he said, he promised. We were just <laughs> hoping for that. And so they're going home as, you know, a so failure. Sad. And that right. last minute, so I think of the widow of Nain, right. that her the son is minute. being taken away. And just then, Christ comes. Sorry. <laughs> and so the story just so touches me. Um but uh, Christ's response is so cute because he doesn't say, oh, you poor souls, and he doesn't treat them with kit gloves. He says, oh, you fools. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. And then he does something fabulous and says that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounds the scriptures concerning himself. Mm-hmm. And as I read that, I was thinking, the witness. can you imagine what it was like for them when he says, do you remember the water turned to blood and all of the, you know, the in Exodus, all of those things that happened? Remember what my very first miracle was? Right. The water to wine. Hello, right. I'm the Redeemer. <laughs> Hello. And then he's like, remember the lamb? And when we set up the law of Moses and the Paschal lamb that you just ate, I'm the lamb. <laughs> and so as he's going through all those stories, he says, remember that we set up the temple and the only light in the temple is the menorah. I am the light. <laughs> and then the water, how you're baptized. You die and you rise again. That's what I'm doing. Can you imagine how they're listening to it in context of all of these things they've done and how thrilling. And then I thought of the other prophets he would have gone through. And so what other prophets do you think he would have talked about that you could think when he does the prophets? Oh, I think Elijah and Elisha, for sure. And oh. and that the two of them, you know, and all the miracles that they did, you know, oh, each one wow. of them can also be thought of as, you know, pointing to Christ. Absolutely. You know, they, Absolutely. they brought people from the dead. They also did a lot of these same things. And the things. vessel that never stopped. Exactly. You know, that the oil. Never stopped. I will so, be there. Yep. Oh, wow. And I was thinking of um, Jonah and the three days, which he already sure. talked about, of Job, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And then um, Isaiah, he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And so you think, oh, man, how that moment must have been and how beautiful that fulfillment was. And so immediately afterwards, they run and um, and tell the the 12 and nobody believes them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and you you can imagine but it was as they were telling him that he came. Right. And that's when the right. story that and I that's just when read the story that right. we just read happened. And so I even think sometimes that when we bear our testimony and people don't believe it can be in that moment of testimony when the Christ comes as that witness whether it's through the spirit 
whether it's through his words, that we get that strength. And so I thought again of what Joseph Smith, after the many testimonies that have been given to me. Section 76. I know, and all those testimonies we read through the Old Testament as we studied up to now, this is the testimony that last of all that we give of him, that he lives. And so um, I did, I was so touched. There was, I was looking at, we talked about the road to Emmaus a lot and of mm-hmm. these testimonies, but um, as Christ left, well, they, first of all, they said, come abide with us. Mm-hmm. And you know, the abide with me scripture. And it is cute that it says, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. So we have the time is far spent, abide with me. There's so right. many, so many hymns, all so many hymns. Road to Emmaus songs. <laughs> but then he sat and broke bread with them and blessed it. And so it was as though he gave them the sacrament and through the sacrament, their eyes were opened, and the minute they were opened, he was gone. And they turned to each other and said, did not our hearts burn within us? Mm-hmm. Like, why did we recognize? So there was the cutest story, I don't know if you told this before, about President Eyring, and he talked about how he was in a sacrament meeting. And in um, the earlier days of the church, when sacrament meeting was late at night, because mm-hmm. they had that break in the right. middle, And he said, so it was dark outside. And at the end of a very sweet sacrament, they began singing, abide with me, just even died. And he says that rarely have I felt it exactly as the travelers of the road to Emmaus. Um, uh, But he says, as a soft but unmistakable burning in my heart. But he did that day. And he said, most often for him, it's a feeling of light and of quiet assurance. And so I thought that idea that our hearts burn within us, have you felt that feeling that they felt of the hearts burning within you? Can you remember a time that you would like to share? My own versions of that. That's interesting Um, that he said the same thing, but usually it doesn't come that way. Because I, you know, I was one that waited for years and years to feel that, you know, burning in your bosom that, you know, I felt like that was the only way. And, And for me, I've learned that a lot of it is mind coming thoughts, like worded thoughts. Um, And I always think it's just my own thought, but it kind of just stays with me. And I have to, for me, I have to kind of make the choice to believe it. I have to say, okay, I think that, and I almost ask, you know, I think this is, I think this is from you. And, and I'll, I'll get just some kind of comfort. And and it's been a process of learning how to trust that. And honestly, Mm -hmm. I think I've made more strides in the last five years than I made in the first, you know, 43. Mm -hmm. Um, That's how it works with me. But for me, those, those revelations or that burning or something, I have to kind of opt in, I have Mm -hmm. to choose it. And um, I love that. And that's how it's worked for me. But I love hearing other people's stories, because some people feel it so differently than I do. And I can you also get that witness of mm-hmm. of that they believe what they're telling me. Well, and that goes right along with our last point of becoming a witness. And I think that that is so powerful. We have these stories of witnesses that we, we know. A matter of fact, I think it's interesting that there was a 40-day period after the resurrection where the Savior came and just taught people, you know, help them understand. And we're not even sure how many people actually saw him. We we have one account in Acts where there was about 500. I mean, during the 40-day period, you know, who knows how many people actually disciples got to have that witness. Which is shocking because the early church was so small. So all those people, not all the people that saw him stayed. Right, right. And, and so that goes of back to... 
Right. And like what we live in. Exactly. Right? So I think that it's also powerful. You've already mentioned about Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon and 76. But I also want to just point out that we also have some wonderful commandments from the Lord for us to be witnesses of him now. And that oftentimes we, we talked about the witnesses that they had of the resurrection and how they took Christianity throughout the world. But we have that same you know thing that we have to be as Latter-day Saints, that we do the same thing, that we're witnesses to the world. And in section uh, 19, the Lord very strongly says, and speak freely to all, yea, preach, exhort, declare the truth, even with a loud voice, with a sound of rejoicing, crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord God. And it's interesting, in section 39, the exact same thing, wherefore go forth, crying with a loud voice, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, crying, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the most high God. But don't you also think that that phrase, Hosanna, Hosanna, is the Hosanna shout and is yes. temple focus. Yes. Temple so they're focused. saying we share the gospel, we exhort, and we pull people to and the temple. And we bring people to the temple. And I did want to, to end and then ask how you have become a witness of Christ. But this is one of my favorite talks is uh, Elder Christofferson gave a wonderful talk called Becoming a Witness of Jesus Christ. And he said, being a witness of Jesus Christ is the most fu- in the most fundamental sense is to possess a sure personal testimony that he is the divine son of God, the savior and redeemer of the world. The ancient apostles knew that Jesus was the promised Messiah and spoke from personal experience of his literal resurrection. And that's what we've been talking about today. Nevertheless, a witness of Christ does not need to have seen him or entered into his presence. When Peter testified to Jesus, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Lord responded that this knowledge came not as a consequence of Peter's physical proximity or experiences with Jesus, but because his Father in heaven had revealed it to him. As you feel the Holy Spirit's testimony of him confirmed and reconfirmed to your spirit in many different experiences and settings, as you strive to hold up the light of his example in your life, day by day, and as you bear testimony to others and help them learn and follow him, you are a witness of Jesus Christ. And I love that, especially when he's talking about day by day, we don't have to see and feel him to have that witness that we know that he has been resurrected, that we have that hope in his atonement. That is something that each one of us can gain. But I do think, just like flesh and blood hath not revealed his to us, that we do need to have the Spirit with us. And then it says the Spirit shines with us Mm -hmm. that people see that light. So on days that are rough, that the Spirit's kind of like, am I staying with her? Those are the days. It's day by day, as Elder Christofferson (laughs) says. And sometimes some days are going to be harder than others, that's for sure, in terms of having that witness. But the command is that we do have that witness. And it does come from our heart. It does come from the Spirit. And realize that even when Peter was there next to the Savior, his testimony came from the Spirit, not from being close to the Savior. Because you think of what we just talked about, our, our sad uh, week discussion, when all of those people were in his presence, and yet they were spitting him and punching mm-hmm. him and doing buffeting him, all those awful things. 
So how have you become a witness of the Savior in your own life? And how has that affected you in your relationship with other people? <laughs> they run when they see me coming. Because <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. No, but when you um, have those experiences that are touching or you feel the Spirit has in, in, told you, I'm one that you want to share that openly. So it's not just sharing what happens, but it's sharing those moments that you feel redirected or you feel inspired in something. Like I'm just telling everybody that my son's dating. <laughs> but it was like, it was so miraculous and I've been praying about it. and mm -hmm. It's just been such a gift. But whatever those things are that are, you know, that when you feel the spirit in your life, you share it openly. And I think that that's the key. And then some people warm to it and other people are like, nah, but it's all good. But you've done your part that you've shared um, the light that you have. when that Hosanna. Comes. I mean, that's what I feel whenever I think about it. Well, and I think um, kind of going back to what I said earlier, you know, I, I, I interact with a lot of different people at a lot of different places as far as their belief in in God or, or the gospel. And, and I found that in certain contexts, um, sharing something that direct is is not going to work. It's going to interfere with the relationship that I'm trying to, to to to. That's why I said they run when they see me coming. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but no. I think it's following again. It's following that following spirit, spirit and that right. impression. Exactly. And um, you know, for me, I I I write novels, and I uh, they're romance novels, and you can look at them as something someone picks up for a few hours. Um, but a lot of they reflect my own values, the own the things that I um, reverence, the things that I that I love and, and hold close. And they don't talk about, you know, some of them do, but they don't talk about church specifically, but they reflect that. And, and people can, can feel that and read something that I hope is uplifting to them. Um, my other career is real estate and I'm helping people find homes and, and, uh, doing that with the reverence of what a home is for for people and well no we may never talk about religion but we might it might come up and for me it's it's trying to follow what's what's appropriate for the situation that's going to again share share that love if if that's how god um speaks to people is through love then it's it's how do i show love in this situation and um i remember many years ago it was a seminary quote that was um you know, be mindful how you you treat others because they you may be the only Book of Mormon they ever read, oh. and or the only New Testament that they ever read, and and so kind of knowing where that is. But I also think that different people are called to different things. I've known people in my life who they testify of Christ openly and directly, and it for me, I'm like. Oh, I don't think I could form my mouth around those words in this situation, and yet they can. Right. And and knowing where where you are on that that spectrum, I think is is important. I think the best missionary work we can ever do is to love people genuinely and That's openly. And um, and then when when we're doing that, hopefully, when the time is right to bear solid testimony of specific truths of the restored gospel will be prepared for that because we're mindful of it so in good. in the other ways that we interact. Well, I just wanted to end with this scripture of, from the Savior. He says, learn of me and listen to my words. Walk in the meekness of my spirit and you shall have peace in me. And we can do that anywhere. And we can do that anywhere. We yeah. can be his witness in our own yeah. lives and with all those around us. 
Thank you so much for being a witness with me today and witnessing his testimony, witnessing the Savior as our resurrected Lord. Thank you Same. so much. Thank you. Thank you.